hey, hey, you, stop what you're doing, especially if you're sabotaging yourself. One of the most important projects you'll ever work on is getting out of your own freaking way. And guess what? I've got someone to help you with that. Rachel Wilson Thibodeau, my little big sister, award-winning speaker, digital marketing consultant, author, brand strategist, and not to mention she's an expert at wearing high heels because she's kind of height-challenged, if you know what I mean. But on the flip side, she sounds taller than she really is. Okay, I digress. Welcome to the project. Get out of your own way podcast with Rachel Wilson Tipido. Well, hello and welcome. And for some of you, welcome back to Project project get out your own way podcast and in the virtual guest chair today we indeed have a treat for you i am joined by none none other than dr laura mario and she is the president and ceo of the houston hispanic chamber of commerce now i'm going to share just a little about her. There, there is a lot to share. She's done some amazing things, but we're going to hear more of that from her. So in 2007, Dr. Laura Murillo, Murillo, I may be mispronouncing that, forgive me, was named president and CEO of the Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce with the support of the chamber board and staff. She has set unprecedented records in membership and revenue, and get this, and is now among the largest Hispanic chambers in the country. As the founding president and CEO of the Chambers Foundation, she established the Emerging Leaders Institute, which has graduated over 200 young professionals. And she also holds BA, master's and doctorate degrees from my alma mater, University of Houston, where she also served as an executive for 15 years and became the youngest director in U of H history. Yes, you heard that right. The University of Houston bestowed its highest honor, the president's medallion to the chamber and Dr. Murillo, Prior to her current role, she served as an executive at Memorial Hermann Texas Medical Center for seven years and served on the CEO's executive committee. And last year, 2018, she was named Houston Business Journal's Most Admired CEO Distinguished Alumni Award by the University of Houston and Houston Latin American Philharmonic named her mother <laughs> of the year. So again, that's just a taste of what this this amazing lady has done. Hello, Dr. Mario. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Appreciate it. No problem. No problem at all. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So I, I know, of course, as I mentioned, that, that you know a little something about University of Houston. Yes, I spent 15 years there. I worked there uh, in several capacities reporting to four different presidents, got promoted every couple of years, and also had the great fortune of getting all three of my degrees from the University of Houston. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So 
boy, let's let's jump right in. Obviously, you have worked with a number of people, including business owners, executives, uh, leaders, educators, uh, amazing other amazing people. And in your experience, would you say that you have seen a difference between men and women as far as self-sabotage? Oh, absolutely. I think that for women, often we are our worst critics and we often are the ones that, who limit ourselves and set barriers for ourselves. And without even knowing it, often we are doing things that limit our capacity. For example, in terms of preparation and making sure that we have knowledge of a variety of different things around our field is critically important. It's not enough just to do the job. It's important to have a knowledge base, the confidence to go the extra mile, to get there early, stay there late, Talk to people who know more than you do. Check your work. Double check your work. Uh, mm -hmm. Find the, the space that you belong in and excel. Whether you're answering phones, be the best person answering phones. If you're the person that's in charge of volunteers, then go the extra mile. Uh, wake up early. Stay there late. Learn from people who do it well. And understand that if you're going to grow, that you've got to be really good at what you do. So when you leave, you'll be missed. People will say, you know what? That was the best person that ever answered our phones or was the best mm -hmm. person who ever pulled together our volunteers for us. But a lot of people just do the minimum and expect to be good at something that's not going to work. You will be average forever, if that. Ooh, average forever. Okay. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, wow, there there was a, a lot there. What you said about confidence, that yes. that is really important. Would, would you say for you, has that come naturally or have, have you kind of hone that over time? Has that come with, with accomplishments? I mean, what, what would you say to the person and in particular, the lady out there who struggles with being confident? I think it's a combination. I believe that intuitively I am a confident person, but I've worked at it. And through that, it's through spending late nights studying, waking up early, learning, talking to people who are extraordinarily competent at the jobs that they do, watching other people and being very strategic. So nothing is given, everything is earned, including confidence. One must earn that and you earn it through hard work. It's again, I go back to that anyone can be average. It's those people that go that extra mile to pay attention to detail, who care enough and want to be above average, who work toward that goal and are not just going through the motion, going through the process. Because people who are in fact confident and high achievers, they pay attention to detail. They know whether or not you've spent time working towards something. And the idea is that you are getting better at something over time that you're developing and that increases your confidence. You're not just going to be better at something if you're not consciously spending time improving your skills and improving your knowledge base, et cetera, et cetera. So it's over time and it's a deliberate strategic uh, effort on your part. No one right. can teach you this. You've got to be self-motivated enough to want to be really good at what you do. And again, over the course of time, the more successful you are, the more confident you become. And people say, well, you're lucky. People are lucky. Well, what I've found is that the more you work and the harder you work, the luckier you are. Yep. Yep. 
So I hear you saying that success, accomplishments, doing amazing things, making a big impact, that doesn't just happen, that you you actually have to kind of work at it and you have to be intentional. Would would that be? Absolutely correct. So one of the things that I teach in our Emerging Leaders course, I, I teach the majority of the curriculum and we have other people who come in as well on a variety of different topics. And one of the things that I talk about is the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So you make a copy and you get, you know, lipstick on the corner of the paper and that's okay with you. You staple it and it's stapled in the wrong way and it looks messy. Uh, you leave your desk in disarray and that's okay. Your car's full of stuff. It looks like you've got a garage sale going on in your car. <laughs> uh, you name it. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. And if little things don't matter to you, then over time, what you find is that big things don't matter to you and you're not attentive to detail. And so the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And people that are high achievers and are very successful, pay attention to those things and they can tell whether or not you're giving a hundred percent or you're just getting by. Wow. Mm. Yep, I would agree. I would absolutely agree. So, Dr. Mario, tell us how did you or how have you handled kind of getting in your own way and and provided that that happened? Because I something I have found interesting and the reason I one of the reasons that I decided to do this podcast is. When I started paying more attention, I found that the very people who I look up to, uh, who I aspire to be like, and and myself being um, someone who aspires to be more and to do more and to have a bigger impact, those are the very people that (laughs) tend to really get in their own way. It's not just quote unquote losers, it's and I'm saying that loosely, quote unquote, losers, um, or underachievers, if you will. It, it's the very people who many of us look up to and we have a great deal of respect for, but sometimes fall prey to self-sabotage. So what has that looked like for you and how have you managed it? Well, I think each of us have areas that we need to improve upon. And each of us have our doubts about whether or not we can do something. And when those things happen, I think it's important to have a support system that says to you, you can do this, get back up, go again, be better, learn from that and make sure that you find ways and strategies to cope with the pressures of performance, the pressures of being a good parent, being an executive, being a boss, being an employee, working out strategies for that. In my particular case, I self-sabotage by carrying my uh, doctoral application in my bag for six months because I thought, I'm already working full-time. I'm a parent. I am primary caretaker for my mother. I have to do all this math. I have to take these graduate exams, et cetera. And I don't think I can do it. And I carried that application and I kept thinking of the reasons why I couldn't do it. And finally, I developed the courage to go and visit with a professor and sit down and talk about my desire to go back to school full time and earn a doctorate degree. And he validated all of my negative, 
criticisms or reasons why I thought I couldn't do it. Hmm. Validated every single one of them and found a few more that I hadn't even thought about. Oh my goodness. Not only did I sabotage myself, but I had someone else that I went to for guidance who said, oh, and by the way, this is a lot of money and a lot of time and all of these other things. And so I left there thinking, well, I was right because he just affirmed what I've known all along. Hmm. And the differentiator for me was walking out of his office and thinking, okay, I can let one person validate all my fears and concerns, or I can just put on my big girl pants, fill out this application, and remember that my parents came to this country as immigrants with no money, hmm. no command of the language, knew no one, and did very well. And who am I to not even try? I owe this to myself. I owe this to my parents and I will find a way to make this happen. And that first step was truly for me, the most difficult one, mm. taking that application out of my briefcase and just filling it out and letting the chips fall where they may. And then once I made that decision, then I made sure to, at every step along the way, ask for support, ask for advice. I got away from a lot of my volunteer work because I wanted to focus specifically on earning this doctorate. So I changed my schedule around. I figured out that I needed to wake up at four in the morning to get myself ready for work, to get breakfast ready, to get the kid to school, mm -hmm. to drive, to check on my mother, to do the mm -hmm. studying. At three in the morning, four in the morning, I was up, I was going, and I stayed up really late at night. And I did this for three Ooh, years. That is early. That's what it required of me. And it was truly just saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to do well. And once I was in and committed and I got the confidence to believe that I had everything that I needed to do well, that there was nothing to stop me. I was all in. So I find that so fascinating and so inspiring. And I hope you guys listening you're not missing this and you find this inspiring too because so often we are discouraged by others and sometimes unfortunately the very people we go to for guidance and for encouragement. So how was it that you took what he said and you actually kind of flipped it mm -hmm. and went for it in spite of that? Well, I think part of it is knowing what I needed to do to do well. What, my, what I was coming in with, which were limited uh, base of knowledge, I knew I had to work harder because the people who were in that particular cohort of doctoral students were full-time students. Mm. They were strictly focused on their classes and their work mm -hmm. and getting through that. I came in with a full-time job. I'd just been promoted. Mm -hmm. I had a two-year-old daughter. I got pregnant toward the end of it. I got a promotion. My mother had a massive heart attack. So there were like all these strikes against oh me, which easily I could have said, well, okay, well, I'm going to throw up my hands and this is, sure. I can't do it. Or I could just say, okay, I'm going to spend the time to do this right and get the help I need. When they left after studying from eight in the morning until 1030, I stayed at the library until it closed. I knew what I needed to do to just be where I needed to be to continue and stay in the program. I knew I needed to work harder. I knew I needed to study more. I knew how hard statistical analysis was for me. So I recorded the sessions. I sat up front. I asked questions. I went in. I talked to four different professors. I sat with one professor who told me I was the stupidest person he'd ever taught. 
and he was my methodologist. And I, he said, what don't you understand? And I said, I don't understand any of it. He said, how do you not understand? Oh he, gosh, really? <laughs> what part don't you understand? And I said, I don't understand any of it. And then he taught me a different way. And then I started to understand, but I had to work for it. He wasn't going to change the grading. He wasn't gonna change his exams to make it easier for me. That was set. I had to get up there and guess what? That meant that I was not prepared and I realized I needed to do something about it. It was not his job. His job was to teach us, to give us all of the information. Mm. And I knew that one hour or two hours on a Sunday with my cohort was not sufficient for me to be a top student. I knew I had to do so much more. And so I had it on tape recording when I was going back and forth to school. I had it posted all over the house with different theorems and what have you. I visited different professors. I sat with other people who'd already gone through it to get guidance and information. And then my mother had a massive heart attack right before the exams, a few weeks before that. And I was given a, a medical withdrawal form because I was pregnant. I was working full time. I was going to school. And again, I think many of us oftentimes when faced with that kind of a challenge, surrender. Mm -hmm. But that's when I think the true um, leader in you either steps up to the plate or walks away. Mm -hmm. And I think as women, oftentimes it's very easy for us to just say, well, okay, I tried. I'm going to walk away. Or that internal mechanism says, don't give up, get mm -hmm. back up figure out what you need to do, decide that you want to do this, and then prepare, spend the time. It's not going to come easy. And I did all of those things. And so when 40 of us took the exam, the statistical analysis exam, which was a five to six hour exam, 40 of us took it, four people passed. When they saw the results, they couldn't believe that I had passed because I had been so challenged in that particular course. Mm -hmm. So I asked them wow. to check my social security number and their response was, we did. We checked twice <laughs> because we couldn't believe that you passed. But there's something to be said about hard work and it pays off. I don't sit here as the leader of one of the largest chambers of commerce by happenstance. I have worked hard. I have cried. I have been punched. I have been knocked down. Mm -hmm. I have been lifted up. I have been mobilized by people that I don't even know who've opened doors to help me be where I am today. Nothing comes easily. Power is not given. It is taken or earned. Oh boy. All right, you guys just, just kind of digest that. <laughs> because you just, that's just a reminder that women can get the job done. The very things that often and sometimes, you know, we hear this not only from men, sometimes we hear this from other women. Some of the very things that we have as challenges and we are often accused of, and, and maybe accused is not quite the right term, but 
they're held out as obstacles. They're held out as reasons, excuses, how, you know, however you, you want to put it, as to why women in particular cannot do certain things, that we, we cannot get that advanced degree. We cannot start that business or grow that business or write the book or any number of things. And it, it sounds like you were pretty much dealing with all of them or close to all of them. You, you were a mom, you were pregnant with another kid, you, you were a caregiver. I mean, you, you had a lot of things going on that, let's just be honest, there are exceptions certainly, but generally speaking, men, many men anyway, don't have to deal with. And so you were dealing with all of these things and you still <laughs> got it done, essentially. And you did what needed to be done Thanks. to have those things happen. Right. And it goes back to, you can sit here and, and think, okay, well, she had this door open to the other. I opened my own door and I left it open to bring other people through that door, including women. Having said that, I go back to, I have a very high bar for myself, an expectation of every day of things that I want to do, want to accomplish. And I think that's part of the uh, challenge is that I know what I've gone through to get here. And it's been, as you mentioned, a whole lot. So I have very little patience for um, excuses or I'm challenged. Because mm -hmm. it, from where I'm coming from, I understand what challenge means and I take it very seriously. And so yeah. I go back to, it's about understanding what you have to put into something in order to have a result. You put in a little, you get a little. You put in a lot, your result is gonna get better. And it's not something that you can just dabble in. You have to really want to be successful. Mm -hmm. You have to really pay the price for that. You've got to really invest the time. And for me, that includes the last night, 1045, I got a text message from an elected official on something that needed to be handled. I'm taking care of it. 1130 at night, I'm still reading on water, because that's something that I feel like I need knowledge about, because it's the next thing after plastic. So I need to be knowledgeable about that. I need to be able to know that I need to put a care package together for my daughter for Easter, because she's at Columbia University in New York, and I wanted to get her care package because she's staying there for Easter. It's knowing that I've got to get my daughter to the orthodontist this morning before I have my first meeting that's early in the morning and starting out at 6 a.m. People will see me on stage in front of 2,000, 13,000 people and think, well, she's got all of these things that are just happening. I make them happen. I've got a great team of seven people here at the chamber who are competent, who have a very important role to fill that support the work that I do every day. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. If we have a mistake, if we don't hit a mark, if we don't hit our numbers, if an event doesn't go well, the buck stops with me. And I think part of this is that you have to be accountable for not only yourself, but your team. And you have to hold your team accountable as well. And so you need to surround yourself with people who have competencies that perhaps you don't have. So they come to you as the expert and can make recommendations for you. So it's about having the right team. It's about understanding that as women, absolutely, 
the bar is higher because there are things that traditionally women are the leaders at, whether it's at the home, with the family, with the children, with parents, that's not going away. We're going to be the lead on that. And I think as women, we should not uh, set a lower bar for ourselves thinking that they've got to drop it. No, step up to it. You know, one of the things that I talk to, again, to young people is I was asked to throw the first pitch out for the Houston Astros a couple mm-hmm. of times already. And so I say to them, pitch from the mound. And here's a prime example. So I go to pitch and I'm a very feminine person. So I wear my mm-hmm. dresses and bright colors and heels and that's who I am. And I've never felt the need to in any way trying to dress like a man or behave like a man. I have characteristics that people might say are very masculine as being Mm -hmm. assertive, as being a leader. They might call it something else because I'm a woman, but if they refer to it as a man, it's a positive thing. So I go to the game and I'm going to throw out the first pitch and I'm in my, you know, heels and I'm on the mound and the catcher gets up and approaches me and says, by the way, you can get off of the mound and, and pitch closer to me so that you can reach my, my glove. Oh, I said, so well, nice so of him. I said, that's really nice. I said, but you know, the man that went before me pitched from the mound and I'm going to pitch from the mound. Now it goes back to in your mind, right? I mean, do you not think that I was a little nervous throwing the pitch mm-hmm. at a Houston mm-hmm. Astros game in front of all of those people? Mm-hmm. Yes. But guess what? A couple of weeks before the game, I found someone in our office who was a baseball player. And I said, listen, can you help me just learn how to throw the ball? And he's like, okay, sure. And so we went to a park and he said, aren't you going to change? I said, no, I'm going like this because when I pitch, this is how I'm going to be in some fashion of this. So we went and we practiced and I was horrible, but I got used to it. And I I did well enough to know that if I tried hard enough, at least I could come within something that was respectable. Yeah. Yeah. I say to young women, especially pitch from the mound because even if you make that ball go into the glove if you weren't on the mound it didn't count make it count Mm. don't ask people to drop that standard because you're a woman you need a pitch from the mound every time and I did and I came within strike zone you know was again uh respectable Mm -hmm. and it goes Mm -hmm. to your confidence so there was I didn't realize but there's usually three first pitches the gentleman before me was horrible. His pitch was <laughs> but he looked like he'd been a baseball guy. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to follow him. It's yeah. in your head, right? Yeah. And I thought, okay, I've got this. I practice. I practice. And so his was horrible. I was next. And I did a respectable job. And then there was a gentleman behind me who did okay. And so it goes back to that point of men versus women or our perception of what that is. And the reality is that in my mind, I could have psyched myself out to think I couldn't do this mm-hmm. or that I needed to get closer, but I needed the confidence to know that I had practiced. I wanted the same standard as the men had, and mm-hmm. I needed to make it count. So I say to women, you will need to work harder. You will need to get up earlier. You will need to stay late. You will need to have your numbers be better than somebody else's numbers. You will have to set up more meetings than perhaps your counterpart. And I also want to say one other thing about this. I think a big mistake that women make is thinking that it's men versus women. Some of the people who've helped me most in my career have been very strong, competent, smart, who are not intimidated by a strong woman, who instead see that their daughter one day will be in the workplace 
And they want to make sure their daughter has the same chance as anyone else. And so I think women make the big mistake of thinking they need to surround themselves with a bunch of other women. Well, guess what? That's fine in certain circumstances. But let's be honest and realistic. Who has led these corporations? Who has these jobs? Who has been the most successful in terms of leadership and opportunity? Who's been doing it longer? Men have. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those doors have been open for them. They've had the opportunity and the privilege to focus on their career while the wife has taken care of the house and the children and countless other things that go unaccounted for. Absolutely. There's a lot that we can learn from men. And by the way, much that they can learn from us as women. So I really work very hard to stay away from this men versus women. I think there's opportunity for both. And I think that leadership and experience um, is available and the opportunities there for, for both entities to succeed. There's enough right. success for all of us. And the minute you think that you can't share your success or power with others, I think you've really boxed yourself in. To me, someone with power and influence is someone who's smart enough to share it and isn't threatened by sharing it. Oh, okay. Say that again. <laughs> so for me, a successful, powerful, influential person is able to share power, mm -hmm. success, and influence because mm -hmm. they have enough confidence and they know that it's not a, well, if you have it, I can't. In my mind, there's enough to share. And a true leader is willing to help other people become successful, influential, powerful. Having said that, I don't have much patience uh, or time to give that because time is limited. And so mm -hmm. it has to be a reciprocal type of relationship and an organic one. Sure. And you have to put yourself in a position of demonstrating competency and meriting uh, mm -hmm. that, if you will, um, collegial opportunity, right? And so it, it comes from both spheres. You want to show that, that you are putting yourself in a situation where you, you want to continue to be better. And many people took it upon themselves to invest in my development, to invest their time and expertise. But I was cognizant enough and smart enough to know that I needed to come prepared and show that I was worthy of that investment of their trust and willingness mm -hmm. to me and open doors for me. That, that that you just said is often a great reason, <laughs> I think, for stepping up. Because when you think about other people who have invested in you, who have spent time with you, who have taken the time to help you, who've played a role in getting you where you are, it, it, I mean, it's hard not to feel a sense of, of obligation, so to speak, to them to I, I mean even if you cannot do it for yourself and and i think that's unfortunate you know that sometimes people cannot or, or some people are not able to um gather enough um <laughs> they're not able to to get things going themselves um if not for yourself for those other people who have stepped up and who have helped you and, and who frankly are looking to you to go further sometimes than even they went. Well, and the truth is, is that 
in many cases and instances, they need to understand and you need to understand that your success is important to the other person. So I had countless people who wanted me to be successful. And at some point, you know, they said, wow, you, you've exceeded even, you know, the, the mentor, the mentee exceeds or mm-hmm. uh, outshines mm-hmm. the mentor. That happens. And what I have found is that it's really important to go back and thank those people who were there for you, who inspired you, who were hard on you, who did not allow you to be, again, average. They believed that you had more to give and they gave you guidance and advice and you took it. And the result was you were a better person at the end of the day because of that. And so it reminds me of my leaving the Texas Medical Center where I was an executive reporting to the CEO. She put me on her executive team. Everyone else was a physician or clinician of some sort. Mm-hmm. I was not, I had no medical, anything. I'd never worked in the hospital, but she had a job that I had to do, which was institutional advancement, philanthropy, fundraising. That's what I did. And she wanted me on that team because of that expertise. But I always felt as if the other people knew so much more because they were clinical people. And then at some point, a switch went off in my head. And it was partly because she said to me, listen, we already all know the clinical things. You bring something to the table that we don't know anything about. And so once I realized that it was not a deficit in some sort of mind, sure, it would have been helpful had I been a clinician. But the truth was, I was bringing something to the table. I became the expert. I listened to what the others were doing. I listened to her advice. I'd leave her office with a list of things that she'd asked me to do. And I'd go back and I'd get it done. If I didn't know how to, I'd figure it out. And I'd come back. And the one thing that I would miss, she'd always catch it every time. And there was no way for me to talk my way out of it. She was right. She knew it. She knew her business. And I'll tell you this. I didn't want to work in a hospital. I didn't want to leave the University of Houston. I loved being there. I was on the path to become an academic, whatever, something at the university. Mm-hmm. And I met this woman and I knew based on my limited five minutes with her that I was going to learn from her. And I asked her one question, which was, why should I come and work for you? Ah, her good question. It was very deliberate. She said, because I develop people. Do you know that of the 10 of us who were on her executive team, eight out of 10 of us went on to become CEOs? Oh, boy. (laughs) Eight out of 10? Eight out of 10. And let me tell you, she, to this date, is the toughest boss I've ever had. Mm. And I would leave her office sometimes crying. I would sometimes just be afraid to go into her office and ask her questions because I found that I wanted to meet her high expectation. I really Mm -hmm. did. And every time I did it, I just felt like I not done enough to get to where she was trying to help me get. Mm -hmm. Once I realized that what she was doing was truly preparing me and making sure that I was thorough and detailed and, and specific. And then while I had her attention, I asked those questions and that she just had to tell me once 
And when she said something, that's what she meant. And oftentimes I still today, I remember when she'd say, well, you might think about this. And then over time, I realized that what she was really saying was, you better do this. She'd always say, you might want to think about something. Yeah. And so it's just the things that you learn as you work with someone. Fast forward, I spent seven years there. She promoted me the last three, took me out of what I was really good at, which was institutional advancement and said, that's enough. You've got it. You need to learn other work. And I said, no, I don't want to learn other work. I love what I'm doing. I have my one employee. I'm in my lane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. One day you will be a CEO. You need to learn these other skills. So I went from one employee to over 500 from Friday to Monday, 10 departments. And I was so overwhelmed. It's not even funny. But she said, look, I know your skills. I know what you're good at. And the things that you don't know, we will teach you. And fast forward, those skills were many of the skills that I needed to run the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. So I credit my toughest boss, the one who challenged me the most with getting me here today. Fast forward. She and I remained good friends after I left the hospital and she encouraged me. She said, Laura, you have been working your whole life for that job at the chamber, go. And if it's not the right fit, you'll always have a job here. And so I left and four years later, I asked her to serve on the chamber board. And I thought, why would I do that? She's so hard on me. (laughs) And the reason I did is because I knew she'd make me better. Mm -hmm. So she said, yes, she served on our board and she became our chairwoman and she's our uh, past chairman today. And I can tell you that I am significantly better. Mm -hmm. Push me. Well, she pushed you. It it sounds like out of your comfort zone. Yes. A lot of what you're saying speaks to that because how many of us have had a difficult boss or it, it, it may not be a boss. It could be a colleague who still sure. pushes you, who makes things a, a, a bit difficult or maybe even very difficult. Yes. And it ends up making you better though. But so often we resist that and we complain about that. Yes. And that can be a form or an example of getting in our own way because it, it, it you know, at the end of the day though, we just kind of want to stay in our, our nice it's little comfortable you, bubble. Sure. It's what you do with it. Right. And so What I realized early on was that her style was consistent. It wasn't just aimed toward me. Mm -hmm. She didn't drop the bar for anyone. It was not personal. (laughs) No, and and at first I took it very personally. Mm -hmm. As I think, of course, you're human, right? You're going to take it personally. Once I got over that and realized that she had my interest at heart, it made it, it softened the blows, but believe me, the blows are still there, mm-hmm. uh, but I earned them, right? Because I did not get to whatever it is I was trying to get at. And remember, this is a totally new animal for me and I don't regret it. And I think sometimes it's very easy for us to give up and take an easier, smoother route. And that's fine. And there are people who perhaps, you know what, for them and their personality, maybe that's what you need, but what I needed as a, being a high achiever were, was someone who was also a high achiever. And she saw that, I think, in every one of us who worked for her, that we were able to step up and we were willing to play that game. And if you're not, it becomes very difficult. But I think intuitively, she knew no one was on her team that couldn't take it and that didn't have the capacity 
and wasn't willing to work. She knew all of us were willing to go that extra mile and work hard to get to where we were going. And I credit her. And I think, again, a, a person's successes also with the people that work on that team and where they go afterward. And I can tell you being here at this chamber, we've had many great employees working here. And percentage-wise, I'll tell you, 90% of them have gone on to their next dream job and um, have done so because they worked hard while they were here at the chamber. They made their desire for their career known to me. I try to find ways to provide them with the experience to help get them there. It was a very open conversation in terms of you don't have to sneak around when you want to move on to another job. And one other piece of advice I think is critical. We always talk about getting a job, how you get a job, the things that you need to do and how important that is. I think what we don't talk about is how you leave a job and making sure you do that right and making sure you don't burn bridges because you never know where you're going to come full circle with some of these people again. And you want to make sure you do that right. So if you're listening and, and it's time for you to leave or you want to do something else, whatever the case may be, be very careful. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that I have seen, especially young people do, is leave in a way that's not the right way. And so you need to figure out what that means for you. But my hope is that if you're in a job that you're happy and that you understand that you're going to have to work hard and that you're willing to put in the time and sacrifice and effort to be really good and competent and that you've got people around you that want to help you and that you're part of that team to get you there, to get you to that finish line so that you feel like at the end of the day, you're part of something really important. And if you don't feel passionate about it, it's really hard to wake up every day and go to a job that you don't want. Mm-hmm. Now, it's really hard. And so I go back to something I said earlier. If you answer those front desk phones, do it unlike anyone else has. If you mm-hmm. are in sales, be the best at it that you can be. So that when you leave, people will miss you and say, you know what? Mary was such a great receptionist. Boy, we sure do miss her. She was really great at her job. And some of us have to work at all of those things. And, and others, you know, we need to realize that maybe it's time to go. That's the other thing that's critically important. If you're not happy and, and you're not in an environment in which you feel that you are moving in the direction that's good for you, then don't be afraid to leave. Feel that no one, number one, is irreplaceable. We are all replaceable. All of us are replaceable. And so if you understand that and you're willing to do the work, I think as women, again, the bar should not be lowered for us. And it is difficult and it is a challenge, but it's certainly doable. And you have to believe in yourself and you've got to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, can give you advice, that can keep you going. When you fall, you get right back up and that it is evident that you are working hard every day to be better at your job. I have to do it every day. I've been here now 13 years and my biggest competition is myself because I have to outdo what I did the year before. Every year I have to be better. I can't slow down. I can't slack off. I have to be better than I was last year. And I would think that it, that's getting harder and harder to outdo yes, it's you, so hard, ma'am. It's so hard. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a tall order. But you know what? I'm up to the challenge. I'm very happy. I know every day the work we do at this chamber 
is changing people's lives. It's changing the way people think about Hispanics, about women, about minorities. Mm-hmm. It's a very big mission that I take great pride in. And that's why I'm so tough on our team and, and, and the things that they do and how we represent our community because we are a reflection of a large community that we represent in this city. And there are only seven of us and we're a small team and coincidentally, all women, by the way, and so it's a, it's a very important role that we play and people are watching and mm-hmm. I want people to respect Hispanics. I want them to respect women. I want them to respect the work and the contributions that we make every day locally at the state level and nationally. And so that means we have to give our best and work extra hard to get it right and to know that we truly are the leader of Houston's new majority. And that comes with a huge responsibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage women, again, step out of your comfort zone and do what you need to do to take care of yourself and to be the best that you can be, no matter what your role is at home or in the work setting. So this, this has been absolutely amazing. I hope you guys, you probably need to go back and, and, listen to the recording (laughs) to really get everything that has been shared today. I I really hope you have not missed the gems, the nuggets, the tremendous value that was shared. And just remember that you heard it on Project Get Out Your Own Way. So Dr. Murillo, share with us what are you excited about or what are you most excited about right now? What's going on with the chamber? Uh, is there anything you, you want to share with the audience specifically? Let's, let's hear it. Well, certainly for us, very important that we continue to support the economic and civic interests of the Hispanic business community. I think for us, one of the exciting things is our diversity. When you come to our events and you see that it's not just Hispanics, when you look at our board of directors and it's not just Hispanics, when you look that we are talking on topics that are not just Hispanic, but it's on NAFTA, DACA, census, things that are impactful and important, whether you're Hispanic or not. I think that's critically important. The other thing that I'm super excited about is our foundation and our Emerging Leaders Program where we've identified young professionals with less than 10 years of experience to help them navigate corporate America, whether they're rocket scientists or teachers, and how they can become better at what they're doing and a skill that can help them continue in an upward trajectory and also encourage them to not just go to work and check out at five o'clock, but again, to be masters of their space through knowledge and reading and going on and getting, you know, Mm -hmm postgraduate education, serving on board of directors. I think there's a real uh, void of knowledge, especially among young people, that we are responsible for helping them obtain and achieve. We need to pass on this knowledge and this skill set that so many of us have, whether we're approaching retirement or trying to move on and transition. We have a responsibility to educate this next generation of young people and help them understand how critically and vital they are to our economy, to our leadership, to running for political office, to being parents, to 
not, you know, having to feel guilty because they're married or not married or have children or don't have children, all the things that we dealt with when we were their age, helping them understand what it's going to take for them to succeed and do well, and that they understand that they have a duty and responsibility to give back. And nothing saddens me more than a person who does not reach their full potential. Our job is to make sure that as many people as possible reach their full potential. But you have to want to do that. It cannot be forced upon you. And I think there are a lot of people out there that absolutely want to reach their full potential, but they have to be open to understanding that they don't know what they don't know. Hmm. They need to learn, hmm. and we've got to be able to teach them. I think that is our duty. So that excites me. My daughter, who's uh, in the 11th grade, and my other daughter, who's uh, in her second year Columbia, uh, take up, you know, any time that I have and making sure that they are confident, successful young ladies. And I think at the end of the day, as a mother, as a parent, it, it's a it's it's a tough thing to do. Sure. And I also hope that for uh, people who are the employers understand the importance of, of helping women manage all of the different things that we have to manage because it is not an easy thing to do. And I go back to the men that I hope that they are in a position where they allow women to have the same opportunity that a man would have. And women, when you're given that opportunity, don't drop the ball. Take that opportunity and impress them so much so that you get that second opportunity. Because at some point, you will continue to have doors open for you or you won't. It's going to all rest on how you you are able to manage that challenge. There you go. Well, I think that is a good, a good place to end. I, I'm thinking we may have to have you come back. There, there well, may have sure. to be a, a part two. Absolutely. <laughs> Happy to do it. In the interim, I'm going to ask folks that are listening and watching to follow me at Dr. L-A-U-R-A, and the last name is M-U-R-I-L-L-O. So please follow me at Dr. Laura Murillo. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to join you. Thank you. I appreciate it so. And until next time, those of you out there, brilliant, wonderful people, take care and take some action. Thank you. Hey, 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 guys, this is Rachel. I knew that would be a great episode. I am sure you got a ton of value. And if you didn't, I, I don't know what you're doing. You, you, that means you probably missed something. So you should go back and listen to the episode again. You should go back and listen to the episode anyway, because there was so much shared. And I go back and listen to these episodes and not, not just for editing purposes. I, I do that often because I miss something, you know, I'm the I'm doing the interviewing. I, I'm doing a little multitasking usually. And so I like to go back and listen just for my own benefit. And because I get even more out of these episodes, out of these interviews. So definitely give it another listen. Or if you, you came in, 
you know, in the middle or something, you definitely want to listen to the entire episode. If you have not already subscribed to the Project Get Out Your Own Way podcast, I don't know what you are waiting for. Go subscribe. You can listen to the podcast on various platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. I, I told I told you guys from the very beginning, and now I can break out in song and or dance at, at any given time. So just just a reminder. But you can check out the podcast. You can follow us over on Instagram at Get Out the Way Podcast. Get Out the Way Podcast on Instagram, and you should join my VDP text list, VDP as in very dope person. Now I did say VDP, not just VD. I I had someone tell me they thought I just said VD and they were like, I don't think that's a list I want to be on. (laughs) Yeah. Some of you will get that later. VDP as in very dope person list that gets you updates that gets you tips and strategies and discounts on new products and services. And it will also being on that list will also get you a free audio from the four part audio series, the four part project, get out your own way series which is awesome. So you can get all of that by being on that text list. And you can do that by texting the words swag dash get out swag S W A G dash. And I don't mean the word dash. I mean like a little hyphen swag dash get out G E T O U T O U T all together. No spaces. Text that to seven, seven, nine, four, eight text swag dash get out to 77948 to get on the project get out your own way very dope person list now guys it is the fourth quarter which is still a little scary and some of you may be looking for a speaker some of you are looking for a dynamic award-winning funny and fashionable, might I add, speaker. Look no further. I'm here, yours truly. (laughs) I still have some availability in the fourth quarter and I'm booking for 2020. So if you need a great speaker and a speaker who has had the pleasure and privilege of sharing the stage with the likes of Robin Roberts from Good Morning America, then we should connect. Let's talk about how I can make your event awesome. And some of the clients that I have spoken for, some some of the audiences I have spoken for include colleges and universities, the corporate arena, associations, conferences. I just spoke at a conference a couple of weeks ago. And so let's let's connect and see if it is a good fit. You can shoot an email to info at swagstrategy.com info at swagstrategy.com. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn and you can see more about my speaking on LinkedIn as well as on my website, swagstrategy.com forward slash speaking. All right. Until next time, this is Rachel Wilson Thibodeau. Take care and take some action.